Hi, I'm Vishen Lakiani, founder of Mind Valley, the school for human transformation. You're listening to the Mind Valley podcast, where we'll be bringing you the greatest teachers and thought leaders on the planet to discuss the world's most powerful ideas in personal growth for mind, body, spirit, and work. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Mind Valley podcast. I'm so excited about today's guest, Chip Conley. Now, if you have not yet heard of Chip Conley, you have to know this man. He is someone who I have so much respect for because what he's done in the world is simply extraordinary. Chip is the founder of the JDV hospitality chain of hotels. He started it in 1987 at the age of 26, was CEO for 24 years, and it became the number one boutique hotel chain in all of California. Chip went on to sell the JDB Hotels and join a company that I bet you've all heard of, Airbnb. And there, he became the head of global hospitality and strategy for Airbnb. He worked closely with the CEO, Brian Chesky, as a mentor and helped to build a bridge to the travel, hotel, real estate development, and landlord industries. He also conceived and led the annual Airbnb Open. Now, Chip is also the author of phenomenal books on workplace happiness, such as Emotional Equation, Simple Steps for Creating Happiness and Success in Business and Life. He also wrote Peak, How Great Companies Get Their Mojo from Maslow, something you guys know I'm so absolutely into. His latest book, is Wisdom at Work, The Making of a Modern Elder. And the premise of this book is really interesting. Chip, when he joined Airbnb, he was 52 years old. And he joined a company where most people were in their 20s and Chip didn't write any code or have an Uber or Lyft account on his phone. And he was twice the age of the average Airbnb employee. But he became a trusted mentor, a modern elder, if you wish, to these young, incredible minds in Silicon Valley. And so Chip's latest work is exploring this theme, how to be seen as the elder, the Socrates, the wisdom man in your organization. And it has nothing to do with age. What it has a lot to do with is your ability to mentor and grow other leaders. Now, this is a very, very, very important quality. So I don't care if you're a manager. I don't care if you're a company founder. Google did a study on the number one quality that made its managers truly good. And that number one quality was that they were leaders who made leaders. They had the ability to coach, to mentor. This is what we're talking about. No matter where you are in your organization, if you can help other people rise up, you rise up and you get seen as the leader, as the mentor. So in this conversation with Chip Conley, you're going to learn the art of how to mentor and help other people grow. Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast. Chip, welcome to the Mind Valley Podcast. Oh, what an honor it is, Vish. Thank you so much. It's my honor because I'm such a big fan of your books, and I want to thank you for something. Way back in 2010, when I first started A Fest, it was the first edition of the festival, and Mind Valley is a company that it is now hardly existed. Nobody knew who I was, and I asked you to speak. And you did. You flew all the way to Costa Rica. 
You spoke at that event. And in a way, you were one of my first early supporters. So it's such an honor to have you on this podcast and tell people about your incredible work. Well, thank you for the international nature of the material you put out there in the world. We're all humans. I mean, we have a tendency to focus on what country we're from. But the truth is underneath our country of origin or where we live today is this universal human experience we have. And to me, that's what I'll be talking about today. Phenomenal. So Chip, we're going to be talking about how to be a great mentor. And I know you have a four-step process for this. Let's get started. Yes. Thanks, Vision. So let's give some context. When I joined Airbnb six and a half years ago, part of my role was to be the in-house mentor to Brian Chesky, who was at that time a 31-year-old CEO of the company and one of the co-founders. I had had zero business experience. The company was 125th the size it is today. So it was a tiny company. It was a fast-growing company, but it was actually quite small. So one of the key things I learned from my Airbnb experience was that mentorship is probably the most effective form of learning and development in organizations today. We spend a lot of money in companies on workshops and training and things like that. But at the end of the day, many different sources have shown that actually creating a great mentorship relationship is actually what has the greatest long-term effect. And in fact, Deloitte has actually shown that companies where millennials actually have a mentor, millennials are more likely to stay in a company twice as long as someone who doesn't have a mentor. So it's also a great tool to actually have people stay longer. Wow. And Chip, when you talk about millennials and mentors in a company, I can immediately see how this can apply to people who are listening. Some of them may be the mentor and some may be the millennial who needs to seek a mentor. But could you define when you say millennials who have a mentor do better in a company? What does that mean? Does it mean like an experienced employee who's meeting with them once a week, once a month? Play that out for us. What does that look like? Sure. The way it plays out is you've got someone who has your back and your support, who's there on an ongoing basis. And whether that's ongoing once a month or once a week, it has some level of structure to it that this is the person you can go to for advice and counsel. You know, one of the questions that I've mentioned to many HR leaders around the world that they should be asking on their employee satisfaction surveys is the following. Beyond your boss, who do you turn to for advice or wisdom in the company? And if a company actually created that question and then created a heat map around where wisdom actually existed in the company, and then helped those people who were perceived as wise get a little bit more coaching and training around actually how to be a great mentor, companies could actually learn how to scale wisdom in their organization. But let's actually take it back to you as the listener in terms of how can you make this work. I think there's four steps. Later, I'll talk about context for the rest of the book. I wrote the book with the intention of helping to create a world where there are more mentors and mentees. But the key lesson I've had from the variety of mentees I've had, whether it's Brian Chesky at Airbnb, my first mentee ever 20 years ago was Gavin Newsom, who happens to be the governor of California now, and probably will be president of the United States in the next 10 years. So I've been lucky enough to sort of have time in mentorship relationships. Marion Goodell, who's the CEO of Burning Man, it's been really interesting to get to know these folks. The key thing, the first step of the four steps I'm going to outline of how do you become a great mentor is remember Jimi Hendrix. Who knew that I was going to talk about Jimi Hendrix when I talked about mentorship? But Jimi Hendrix has a great quote from long ago. He said, knowledge speaks and wisdom listens. So a great mentor is somebody who is a great listener. 
a mentor can actually be on either side in terms of age-wise. A mentor could be younger than you. It doesn't have to be just someone older than you. I was called the modern elder at Airbnb because, frankly, as an elder, elder is a relative term. And so when you're an elder, you're actually older than everybody around you. And as you said in the intro, I was twice the age of the average employee. But to be a mentor just means you have a special focus and you have something that you can offer that's knowledge-based that you can actually offer to the other person. So you could be younger and be the mentor as well. But the key is you need to listen as the mentor. Why? Partly because if you start dispensing wisdom or knowledge quickly, what you've done is you haven't actually created context. Context basically means that you have to understand what this person is facing and how you can customize advice and counsel to them. One of the things I've learned in becoming a modern elder is that a modern elder is different than the traditional elder. The traditional elder of the past was, in essence, focused purely on dispensing wisdom. But the modern elder is as curious as they are wise. So a mentor needs to be both curious and wise because actually without the curiosity or the ability to listen, you will just start giving advice without understanding context. And context is key. So the first step for any great mentor is just knowing that asking great questions is a really key part of that. There's actually a whole theory of asking questions that you'll find if you Google it called appreciative inquiry, also known as AI, not artificial intelligence AI, but appreciative inquiry AI. And AI appreciative inquiry is a way of asking a question that can be catalytic. So if you ask a question and it has sort of a yes, no answer, that's not catalytic. That's closed-ended. An open-ended question is when you ask a question with genuine curiosity that is meant to serve the other person. Could you give us an example of such a question? So let's say a company is losing market share and the leader goes one-on-one to the person who's running a department and says to them, you know, we're losing market share. Who's to blame? Now, (laughs) that is not exactly an open-ended appreciative inquiry kind of question. And that's certainly not the kind of question a mentor would ask a mentee. A better question would be, We've actually lost market share. What are the reasons that we might be actually not as competitive as we used to be? What can we learn from our competitors? And what are the three steps we can take right now to actually start focusing on that? So that's very action-oriented. It's not trying to prescribe blame to someone. It's actually giving the other person the opportunity to outline some solutions. One of the challenges with a mentor relationship, especially if it's your boss, is that they become a prescriber. The mentor actually tries to prescribe what is the right thing to do. And I would just say that the best mentors I know actually take their mentee through a process where the mentee actually feels like they're solving the problem themselves. So by asking great questions, this guides a mentee into the right answers. I would highly recommend people review Appreciative Inquiry. Obviously, you can read about it in my book, Wisdom at Work. Okay, so that's step one, and that's called... Be an active listener. Okay, so step one is be an active listener, and the protocol you said we can look into is called... Appreciative Inquiry. Appreciative Inquiry, and that's something we can Google to learn more about. Phenomenal. Now, what is step two? Step two is to make sure that there is a trusted relationship here. You could make an argument that this could go first, but I'll tell you why I think it needs to go second. 
there's a question I think you should ask as a mentor or a boss if the relationship happens to be someone who works for you. In either case, it's a question that I'm going to unpack that has huge value. And that question is this, how can I support you to do the best work of your life here at fill in the blank? With me and Brian Chesky, when I said that to him, how can I support you, Brian, to do the best work of your life here at Airbnb? It opened up an interesting conversation because what it led Brian to doing was to sort of saying, wow, what does it mean to do the best work of my life, first of all? But actually, when the relationship is almost a direct report relationship, and you're doing this with someone who actually works with you, but actually maybe even for you, when you say, how can I support you? You are in essence saying to the other person, especially if they are a direct report, that you are there to support them. There are a lot of people in the working world who actually see that the company is conspiring against them, or somehow their boss doesn't want them to succeed. And that victim mentality is very prevalent as defined by the Gallup polls of how employees feel in the context of an organization. So when you say, how can I support you? You start by saying, I'm here as your trusted advisor, potentially as your boss, to help make you successful. But then when you ask someone to do the best work of your life, you're really actually holding up a high standard that you want this person to aspire to. You know, the truth is often we stretch based upon what somebody else thinks we can stretch to. Now, ideally, we stretch to what we think we can stretch to. But if you have a mentor or a boss who really thinks you can stretch even further, you might even stretch just that much further. So how can I support you to do the, your best work of your life? What is interesting about this question, especially if it's in the relationship between a direct boss and a direct person who is reporting to them, is that it actually forces the person who is the mentee or the direct report to come up with the answers which is what is it that I need to be more effective? It could be something as simple as, oh gosh, I need, instead of once a month a meeting with you, I need once a week a meeting with you. Or I need to reduce my scope of work a little bit so that I can actually focus on this one particular project that needs more of my time. Or I need to go out and go to a conference twice a year in our industry to understand our industry better. Or you know, I need to get paid better. In some cases, the things that the person's going to say will be specific to a boss relationship. And if you're just a mentee but not a boss, then those are less relevant. But you as the mentor could help the mentee understand how they bring those subjects up to their boss. I mean, one of the values of a mentor, and one of the values of this question, is it really gets into some detail about the relationship that this mentee has with their boss, if you're not their boss. And you can help, you're not just helping coach or mentor the individual sitting in front of you, you're actually mentoring their relationship with their boss and how they can be more effective. And a lot of times mentors don't think of that. They think really it's all about that individual, but you know, no one is an island. And to be able to coach that person with respect to their relationship with their boss is a huge collateral benefit of mentoring. I see. And that's an insight for me as well. Okay. So the relationship between a boss and someone who works for them, or the relationship between you and your boss is different from the relationship between you and your mentor. Yes, there's no doubt about that. Because the relationship between you and your mentor probably is less transactional. 
there's less of a focus on what have you done for me lately in terms of how the boss thinks of that employee. And this brings us into the third question. Chip, just before you go to the third question, okay, so a quick recap. So the first one is to listen, is to truly listen. What was that phrase you used again? Appreciative inquiry. So appreciative inquiry is a model that we can apply for true listening. But what did you call that first point? Was it active listening? Active listening. Active listening. Okay. Active listening. And then the second point is asking, how can I support you to do the best work of your life? Now, my question, and this is where I'm getting a little bit hung up, is if you're a boss, can you still apply these two principles or is the relationship of the boss and the subordinate different? Yes, you definitely could be a phenomenal boss and a mentor. In fact, the way I would like to suggest leaders think of themselves is forget the word leader or manager for 30 days in your organization and for yourself, do not use the word manager or leader. Instead, use the phrase role model. Because when you actually think of yourself as a role model, as a leader, you're more likely to fall into the role of being a mentor as well. I see. I see. Okay, this is fascinating. When you think of yourself as a role model, you're more likely to fall into the role of being a mentor yourself. Great. So the first step is listen actively. The second step is ask, how can I support you to do the best work of your life? What is that third step? The third step actually is to discern as you build a relationship with your mentee, which of the two kinds of mentorship relationship they want at the end of the day. And again, some people could say this should go first. But again, I think being able to listen and to support and show trust in the other person gets you to this step. There are two kinds of mentor-mentee relationships. The first one we'll call knowledge sharing. And in a knowledge sharing relationship, the mentee looks to the mentor as someone who has a lot of knowledge stored inside of them. So the way the relationship tends to work is the mentee asks a lot of questions and the mentor answers those questions based upon a dispensing knowledge. So when I joined Airbnb as a context for this, I ended up having over 100 mentees in this relationship at Airbnb over the course of the last six and a half years, four years full-time, two and a half years now as a strategic advisor. So when I was able to discern quickly whether this is a knowledge-sharing relationship, what that might mean in the context of Airbnb was there's somebody who wanted to understand the hotel or hospitality industry, and they have no context for that. They're an engineer or they're a product manager who doesn't really understand how the landscape of the industry works. And so instead... What they wanted to do is come to me and ask a lot of questions to understand what's the landscape of that industry. So that mentor-mentee relationship might only last four or five sessions because it was quite finite. They asked me questions. I gave them answers. I offered them resources of online magazines they could look at, books or articles that I thought that would be interesting to them. And in many ways, all I was doing was filling up their knowledge barrel in the area that they really needed to have it filled. The second kind of mentor-mentee relationship is a development awareness relationship. So it's either knowledge sharing or development awareness. Now, knowledge sharing, when a relationship is finite, the mentee is asking the mentor questions. The development awareness relationship is exactly the opposite. When you're developing awareness in a mentee, you are most importantly asking the mentee questions. So instead of being in the position where you're dispensing knowledge based upon questions asked to you, in this case, you're the one using that appreciative inquiry that we talked about earlier, 
who's asking the mentee more questions. And that's a relationship that actually is not finite. It could last many years, in fact. And the person asking the questions is the mentor, not the mentee. Now, let me say, not all relationships fit neatly into one or the other silo. There's a lot in between. But the nature of the mentor is to understand how they best can serve the mentee. Whether it's knowledge awareness, where you're actually dispensing knowledge, or whether it's developing awareness so that this person actually is becoming more aware of their own talents or their emotional intelligence or their own personality type. These are two different approaches. Just know that when you size up a potential mentee, and you may have one or two or three sessions with them, by the third session, you should have some element of understanding whether it is a knowledge sharing relationship, which actually is going to be, you know, maybe only have one more session versus a development awareness session, which actually could go on for a long time. Just so we understand. So at Airbnb, you said you had hundreds of people that you were mentoring. Out of those hundreds, what percentage roughly was knowledge sharing and what percentage was development awareness? Yeah, there was just over a hundred and about two thirds of them were knowledge sharing relationships. I see. So this means, so a knowledge sharing relationship could last a few days, I'm guessing? A few sessions. Yeah, it could be days, but let's say it's three or four or five sessions. And they might even not even consider that a mentor relationship. But generally people would say that you're my mentor on this subject. And so, yes, that was finite. And then about one third would be the development awareness. And those could last years. The reason this is important is because by the third or the fourth session of a relationship, you better have some sense of what's the definition of success here. What will help create a successful relationship with this mentee? And the mentee better buy into that as well. And at that point, you start saying, what are the rules of engagement that we have? So what does that mean? It means like, well, okay, how often do we meet? Is there homework in between? What's expected? The worst feeling for a mentor is when he or she has given a lot of time to a mentee and the mentee didn't do their homework, didn't seems to blow off the meeting, like doesn't show up for a meeting. So let's say you are in an organization and you really want to get mentored by someone whom you respect, someone at a more senior level. And it's more than just knowledge sharing. You want a development awareness mentorship. How do you go about asking for that? Because that seems like it's going to involve a lot of time. Yeah, it's a great question, Vision, because the one thing I would be very cautious of on the front end is to use the M word. So don't pop the question of, will you be my mentor immediately? Just like, be careful about popping the question to get married after one thing. Keep the M word in the back for a little while, because when a potential mentor hears the word mentor, or here's the idea of mentorship, they initially think, God, this is going to take you know a very long time. So instead, what I would suggest is, who is it that you admire in the organization? And what is it that you're looking for from them? Are you looking for a relationship where you're going to actually tap into their knowledge about a particular skill or industry or a talent or functional capability? Or is it sort of more like, I really like the way that person shows up in meetings or the way they lead a meeting, or I've heard that the person's really emotionally intelligent. So get a little clearer side what you want, and then just go to them and say, could we have coffee? Or could we just get there? I'd love to tap into your brain. I have three or four questions I want to ask you and I'd love to ask you the questions. Then have 30 minutes with that person. Don't expect any more than that. And then in that 30 minutes, get a sense of, is there a rapport? Does that person have something to offer you? Are you looking for something more than just gaining their knowledge, but actually you're looking for 
almost like ongoing counsel and advice as a long-term mentor. Because the less clear you are of what you're looking for, the more likely the potential mentor is nervous about the relationship. Right, right. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, so we've covered three steps so far. If you're a mentor, listen actively. Ask the question, how can I support you to do the best work of your life? And discern, is this a knowledge-sharing relationship or developmental awareness relationship? And you also mentioned that there's a fine nuance. A boss doesn't necessarily have to be a mentor, but a boss could be a mentor. And a mentor doesn't have to be a boss, but a mentor could be a boss. Perfect. You just gave me the lovely segue for my fourth point here, which is the following. The future of organizations is not purely in mentorship. It's in mutual mentorship. And so let me define the term mutual mentorship. It means that you actually create relationships in which you and your partner, it could be a mentor and a mentee, are here to share what they know best. It's almost like a, what we in the United States call a potluck, where everybody brings to the table what they have to offer. This is particularly important in a workplace that's five generations in it for the first time. So let me explain how mutual mentorship works in the context of my relationship with Brian Chesky, the CEO of Airbnb. So six and a half years ago, Brian asked me to join Airbnb to be his mentor. He also asked me to be the head of global hospitality and strategy. But as his mentor, I initially thought, okay, that meant my role is purely to be sort of giving him knowledge and wisdom. But what I realized within the first month was that actually Brian had a lot to offer me as well. This was not a one-way relationship where I was the one who had the knowledge or wisdom. And what I realized quickly was that Brian could actually teach me a few things around the tech industry. So yes, Brian wanted to tap into my industry knowledge of the hospitality business, my experience of being a CEO and running my own company at Joie de Vivre for 24 years, my ability to be strategic in my thinking and be emotionally intelligent. That's what Brian wanted for me. But what I said to Brian about a month or two into our relationship is, Brian, I think this is a mutual mentorship. You can teach me the following things. You can teach me about the nature of what is product. About a week into my time at Airbnb, when Brian had said I was in charge of all the hosts in the world, I met Joe Bot, who is our head of product. And I went back to Brian and I said, wait a minute, I'm in charge of all the hosts and the homes and the apartments around the world. But Joe Bot says he's the head of product. And at that point, six and a half years ago, I did not understand that product was really you know, a shorthand way of talking about the software applications and the website. So I realized I was a neophyte. I was a bit naive when it came to understanding this new industry I was in, technology. So Brian became my guide and mentor around the nature of the tech world and how do you create a great product. He also became my mentor with respect to Silicon Valley investors. I had had lots and lots of investors over the years, but it was all real estate projects. And it was not in the context of venture capital in Silicon Valley. Because my role was pretty high up in the company, it was important for me to get much more knowledgeable quickly about the temperament and the mentality of Silicon Valley investors. And so Brian really actually mentored me on that as well. So over time, what we did is we created a beautiful mutual mentorship relationship. And for those who want to understand it in a little bit more depth, if you Google Chip Conley Bryansky Commonwealth Club, Commonwealth Club is a very prestigious club in San Francisco. 
we had an hour and 15 minute conversation on stage in front of six or 700 people that was videoed that actually talks about how does a mutual mentorship relationship work when it's at its best. And when it's at its best, what Brian said is, Chip, you understand me better than myself. And that was, in fact, the way he sort of saw me is somebody who understood Brian because I was emotionally intelligent. So he was doing a knowledge sharing relationship with me. And what I would say back to Brian is, Brian, you have accelerated my knowledge of the tech industry such that I learn what would have taken me 10 years to learn in the course of a year. So when you have a relationship like that, where you find a partner who actually can teach you something and you can teach them something, you've created a reciprocal relationship that may last a lifetime. Six and a half years into it, Brian and I still have that mutual mentorship relationship. That's beautiful. So what was the label you used for that fourth point again? I would just call it mutual mentorship. Mutual mentorship. That's a beautiful idea. Okay, so I want to recap for people who are listening. The key idea here is that we thrive at work when we find great mentors. And what Chip just outlined for you is a way you could be a great mentor or the way you could find a great mentor and know that your mentor knows what he or she is doing. Now, if you're looking for a mentor, you just learn the framework to identify who can really help you. And if you are seeking to be a mentor, know that you're on the right path. I've been researching this, Chip, and one of the things I found is that in almost any organizations, the people who are getting promotions, the people who are being recognized as leaders are people who have high social connectivity score. In other words, they are the ones who are helping other people. And certainly mentoring is a form of helping other people. It's pro-social caring. It increases what is called social connectivity score. And the higher your social connectivity score, the higher your odds of getting a raise or a promotion, according to a Harvard study. And the second thing is, According to a Google study on what made great managers, they identified seven categories, and the number one category was the ability to coach, the ability to grow other people. And mentoring, would you say, is essentially a form of coaching? Yes, it really is. And part of this led me to asking the question, if we're all going to live longer and power is moving younger, as is true in many companies like Airbnb, because we're increasingly reliant on digital intelligence, and we have a world that's changing faster, how do you create, in essence, mint modern elders? And that's part of the reason I wrote the book, Wisdom at Work. It's also part of the reason we created the Modern Elder Academy with a four-acre campus on the beach in Mexico, where people of all ages, you know, it's been interesting. We created the Modern Elder Academy thinking that it was all people 45 to 65. The reality is we've had from people from age 30 to 78 because there's a growing sense that midlife you know, midlife is historically defined as 45 to 65, but midlife actually is now a marathon. It's still earlier because a growing number of people feel irrelevant, maybe even obsolescent earlier because if they're in an industry like entertainment or tech or to some degree advertising and a few others, that industry grows so quickly that the industry is really interested in a new batch of people coming in in their early 20s. So people can feel obsolescent more quickly. Similarly, if we're going to live longer, people are going to work by choice or necessity in the workplace longer. So that's why I sort of see midlife as almost 35 to 75. And we're the world's first midlife wisdom school. So the world's first midlife wisdom school is the Modern Elder Academy. And people can actually go to my website and also learn more about that as well. Oh, thank you so much, Chip. So that was beautiful. And speaking of your website, folks, I really want you to check out chipconley.com. Just in the 
few minutes preparing for this podcast, I already fell so in love with Chip's work. I am currently reading two of his books. I'm reading Wisdom at Work, The Making of the Modern Elder. And I'm also reading the book that was written just before that, which is Peak, How Great Companies Get Their Mojo from Maslow. So check it out, chipconley.com, C-H-I-P-C-O-N-L-E-Y.com. And you're going to really, really, really love this man's wisdom and love this man's heart. Chip, any closing words? I think the reality is we live in a world where people want to be relevant and have an impact at any age. And the thing is, we tend to think of ourselves as individuals that have to do it alone. And the reality is there's a collective. There's the opportunity to learn from each other and offer mutual mentorship to create a better organization and for all of us to feel like we're having more of an impact. Amazing, Chip. Beautiful and well said. So thank you so much, Chip. And thank you, everyone, for joining us in this Mind Valley podcast. Two things to do after this. Number one, you know the drill. If you like this podcast, share it with a friend. Leave us a review. Number two, check out chipconley.com. I think you guys are really going to find this interesting. Those of you who are business owners, Mind Valley now offers solutions to bring mentoring and to bring Mind Valley's Quest learning platform into business. Check out mindvalley.com forward slash business. I'll see you next week. Vishen Lakiani, and this is the Mind Valley Podcast. If you like the Mind Valley Podcast, take the next step. Become a Mind Valley member. Imagine being coached daily by the greatest teachers on the planet. How quickly would you transform your health, your mindset, your body? your relationships? How quickly would you double the size of your company? How quickly would you see your career grow? How quickly would you eliminate any limiting belief that's holding you back and manifest a life that you once thought beyond your dreams? When you become a member, you don't just get access to the greatest education in the world. You become part of a community of 150,000 of the most incredible people dedicated to personal growth. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash now to get started.